0: Again, folks, don't want to disturb your discussion or your meal, but we have to uh, move along. At this time, I would like to uh, mention that we have some interesting topics coming up as well. Next um, week, we will have um, supporting sustainable food. Good, clean, fair food, and fair food. A panel and reception, and the speakers are Jill Cairns, Tony Legal, and Wade Nelson. And uh, just reading a little bit about them, they're very down-to-earth people. It sounds like, so they uh, they should be interesting. Uh, also, uh, on uh, uh, actually uh, next week. Uh, Issue is why why we need an Alberta Constitution, and it's by Tom uh, Sindlinger. Is our he's a former MLA. If some of you might remember him, and uh, he is uh, uh, pushing for an Alberta Constitution. That's on Thursday, February the 14th. Again here on the 19th, LeBron came... Uh, MP for our Medicine Hat constituency, or uh, federal riding, uh, will be discussing boundaries on the twenty-first. Brian Mason will be uh, here to discuss the uh, budget, and on the twenty-eighth, uh, Dr. Rod Sherman will be here to discuss uh, the uh, uh, in the recent uh, inquiry in health care. Now, if I could uh, call uh, Sandra back to the uh, podium, or to be here to answer questions. I would like, we have, uh, I think we have a mic at the back, have we, Lisa? Right there. Oh, yeah, at at the door there. Uh, Please be, um, uh, form your question, and uh, be clear on it. We will uh, allow you one or two, depending on the line so, Bev is ready to go, and I see Bev is uh, right behind you. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Sandra. Hi, Sandra, Thank you very much for your presentation. I'm Bev with Latherstone, and my question has to do with the uh, primary care network for the family care clinics that are being set up, and it's my understanding that there's no research to indicate that these uh, uh, do anything good. So uh, I'm just wondering why is our premier um, supporting the primary care network?
2: Thank you. That's that's a great question. um, The primary care system is something that I I briefly mentioned, but it's a big... uh, I guess it's a big idea that this premier has had in terms of bringing um, accessibility to Albertans in terms of primary care. And it has been a focus. Uh, well, in, in 2005, we, we saw the creation of the primary care network alliance and, and primary care networks started popping up. How many of you know what uh, primary care network you belong to?
3: Oh, my nice.
2: Did you know that you all belong to the Shimduk Primary Care Network that supposedly um, services 155,000 people in the uh, southern zone? So you are one of the lucky ones that get uh, service from them. But it's kind of hard to know um, that if you if you didn't know that you belong to that primary care network, how are you supposed to be getting the services, right? And and uh, so they, they um, came up with this idea of primary care networks, and basically we started pumping money into it. We pumped over seven hundred million dollars into those prim- uh, into forty uh, primary care networks that service two thousand six hundred Albertans. So. The Auditor General did a report on this and made recommendations about how can we have um, a a system that's not uh, being regulated to the point where we know exactly where this money is going, right? So... You know the uh, uh, the government and during the elections made the promise at that point that we were going to expand our primary care system and create 144 family care clinics, and that was the promise that that Premier Redford made. When we met with uh, Mr. Lockwood and Dr. Eagle, they said that those clinics were not going to happen within their lifetime, <laughs> and that
1: if Prince of Medicare
2: wanted to open up a family care clinic, we were more than than welcome to do it. Now, we have uh, actually been privy to the application package as to how you can open up a, a family care clinic, so if your organization wants to open one, all you have to do is just get a doctor attached to you, and then you can ask for funding to open up a family care clinic. Um, the other people that can actually do this is, uh, is um, Alberta Health Services. They can apply for funding. And or the clinics from the already existing primary care networks, or non-profit, just like the groups that I had I had mentioned. So really, there is no regulation as to how the funding is going to go into these clinics if they ever get off the ground. Like I said, not in, in Mr. Lockwood or or Chris Eagle's lifetime. Um, but we're concerned about how this uh, primary care is just being sold as a as a an ideology more than a. An a, a a betterment of our system in terms of how people have access to front uh, door services. Um, there's uh, 41 doctors that have uh, expressed uh, uh, interest in opening up a family care clinic, and so we'll have to see. But nothing else has been done around it other than the fact that we just pump money without any kind of um, access as to where that money is going. So that's something for you guys to remember. And, and also the fact that you belong to the Chinook, uh, Primary Care Network.
3: My name is Dan Christew. Uh, Thank you very much, Sandra, for such an informative
1: talk here.
3: Even without the last ten pages, we've got to take information. (laughs) One of the uh, interesting uh, um, figures that you you referred to is the huge amount, the third of our entire budget that we're spending on on medicine here in the system here in Alberta. Uh, with the major population and with uh, the increase in cost all the way along the line of drugs, of all of the fancy equipment that's been used to diagnose and so on, it seems to me that it's, what we're headed toward is something that's unsustainable, the way it is. In fact, uh, it's, I have a very strong opinion that we need far more prevention that people take more uh, responsibility, for looking after the health themselves, or, or it won't be sustainable. Well, do you see, my question is, do you see this as part of the trends of Medicare's uh, uh, position to talk
1: to government and to the medical profession as well about the matter of prevention? You know, that, that
2: is, uh, that's always a, a big point of uh, discussion because a lot of people see prevention as as trying to put the blame on to the patient or, or trying to kind of find um, ways of, of downloading responsibility. So there, there's always two sides to that, that discussion. I, I think that if the if government is serious about looking at prevention and, and looking at social determinants of health, then uh, the question becomes... Um, you know, again, who pays for it? Does it go under health care? Does it go under a uh, different ministry? You know, when, when we look at uh, how to teach, uh, and, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning of my presentation, when we're looking at children, for example, who live in poverty, um, Alberta is, uh, there was a study that was done by Parkland Institute that came out today, and it indicates that Alberta is one of the, the provinces that has the most disparity Income disparity, Calgary being the the city that has the most income disparity. And when you have um, such a blatant income disparity, then you also have a lot of issues regarding determinants of health that need to be addressed. So it's definitely um, a conversation worth having, and it's a conversation that that goes hand in hand with how sustainable our healthcare system is and what it is that we need to do to make sure that our, our sustainability is maintained. Um, we we think that uh, you know um, that all these uh, this money that has been um, put into our system so far, there is, like I said, a very difficult task in terms of following the money and, and seeing where it's been allocated and what resources being put. Out. It's not the public health care that's the problem. It is actually the way that that government has managed or mismanaged our healthcare system and that's what needs to be addressed in terms of sustainability but uh, prevention is certainly an area that needs to have
1: its uh, appropriate kind of focus on as well. Thank you. Thank you Sandra, that was an extremely informative and, and, and it's too bad we didn't get a chance to hear the other 10 pages. Anyway, <laughs> my Thank name you. is Frances Schultz. I want to go back to the primary the primary health network issue again, and and perhaps you can answer this, because my understanding is that doctors are being rated now in that system on how well their patients perform, which is the American model, which means that in the U.S., if you've got a very sick patient, they can't find a Is that what we are heading for with this system? And do you know if it's true that they're raving the doctors this way?
2: You know, I was at this uh, primary care summit, but we were only invited to be there for an hour. Friends of Medicare was only invited to be there for an hour. Um, but we heard we heard there that, uh, that basically um, 85% of the physicians in Alberta are part of these primary care networks. But again, they also said that, um, you know, that when 3.9, no, sorry, 2.6 million Albertans are receiving services, but yet this, the report that was done only indicated that 2,600 people were getting direct services. So um, the the rating system definitely is something that uh, that we are not too clear about if that's happening or not, because we're not seeing how the funding is being allocated to pay those positions, but it definitely leaves uh, the door open for that type of a funding, and um, primary care networks only are as good as, as the services that they're able to deliver. In smaller communities, we saw a lot of those private uh, primary care networks being set up in already existing hospitals. Like in the St. Paul Hospital, for example, they closed the second floor and set up shop there, right? And so the doctor that was in charge of that primary care network would work at the hospital uh, emergency when anybody came in to that needed emergency services so he was back and forth. And how people how he's being compensated for the work again is is a lack of that transparency in terms of the funding and where the money is going. And somehow it's just it's just not I don't know, it's just that we're not asking the right questions and when we do ask those questions, we do not get answers. And uh, and that's and that's the most frustrating part about being the executive director of Medicare It's like at least one thing that was good about Ralph Klein is that when he said I want to privatize healthcare he came out and said
4: it right. Frank, hello. Uh, yeah, my name is Frank. Ah, uh, I just want to say that I was the youngest they told me the youngest hospital board member in the Drumheller area. Okay. Uh, basically, because most of the people at that time were foreigners, couldn't speak to English. My father had been a hospital board member, and we got, we didn't get two cents stamps for performing for our duties. Uh, also, the same question you're going to get every good speaker like yourself, this fantastic encyclopedia of your knowledge, is because you also belong to the AUBE. I was fortunate enough to get a mail but in my mailbox, the wrong, wrong person, where the AUT is, has, has registered, the notes of how much money that the provincial government is donating to the billion dollar corporation building these issues. We have donated over eight million dollars here, and 108 million for eight different senior home private facilities. Okay. Also, also, we know that uh, the reason for all of this is the royalty that we're not getting. As a matter of fact, I looked up the new word spelling for the name Shill. Does anybody, does anybody know how to spell Shill? Shill? How do you spell it? The new, new, new dictionary, Western Dictionary shows Shill with six barrels of oil around it. <laughs> okay? So we had both the Premier and the Prime Minister. Good. Super, super Shill of the be all, because that's why we're in, in trouble. The one question is, what percentage, uh, you, you gave us a lot of percentages, what percentage is management costing the health healthcare system for the total expenditure for health care in Alberta? You
2: know, that's a, that's a really good, I, I, uh, I had said that we had an increase of about 9% uh, in, in non-executive management, but we have actually seen, the... the Again, following their their financial statements is, is a good exercise for anybody that wants to work with brain because really um, you follow the money and and you don't really necessarily see them listed individually there in their in their whole schematic kind of thing, but the m- amount of money and the unnecessary management that it is uh, it, just in hospitals and we have you know um, places where we know for a fact uh, in the decision that was that where you had. Two two supervisors supervising one person, right, for entire shifts at a time, and and so then you kind of think, well, really that that's where the the mismanagement is happening. We don't need that many um, m- middle sides or, or mid management when a system is supposed to be. Um, it's not supposed to be top-heavy, and that's the, the main reason why they created Alberta Health Services was because the regions were supposedly too top-heavy. But we haven't seen a decrease at all. I don't have the specific percentages because they are not available, but um, we can tell you that it's, it's unreasonable the amount of management that exists in, in hospitals and in long-term care facilities and, and in, in various places where our tax money is being spent.
3: Trevor. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Um, I've been lucky enough not to have any major health problems, and I've only been here for 10 years or so, in Canada that is. But I'm struck when I go to my family doctor, that it sort of reminds me of a, a production line. You know, the family doctor is handling about six or seven patients in little cubicles. He's rushing in between one and the other. And I, I'm really struck by by that. I, I don't get much confidence in, you know, I'm getting um, any attention or, 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 or um, individualized attention. Now, perhaps you could, you, you would know and could tell us whether doctors are on peace rate basis? I mean, it is like production line. Do they get paid, do they have a certain quota of patients that they have to do in a day, or do they get paid more based on the number of patients that they handle?
2: Actually, um, that's one of their biggest uh, point of contention in their current dispute, negotiation dispute. The doctors do get paid for each visit. So they can split you up, and, and and actually, that's a comment that the doctor made at this primary care summit that I was at on, on Saturday. It was she said, you know, um, I need you to come back because I only get paid for one one issue or, or one problem when you come and visit me. So I can't I can't uh, I can't um, ask for more money if, if you if I deal with all your stuff right away. And uh, so that just tells you uh, exactly where where that. That uh, line is, 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 is the feeling you're exactly correct. We are being processed and, and having to come back for various things is is something that they do so that they can get paid accordingly. Right um, Now, in terms of specialists, um, the, the biggest problem with this, this fetus dispute that they're having right now is that a lot of specialists, super specialists, like cardiac, I got a letter from a cardiac uh, Pediatrician, cardiac uh, anesthesiologist. you can't get any more specialized than that. And uh, and he was saying that according to this new fee schedule, he is going to be getting paid the same amount of money for doing one surgery, than than doing six surgeries at the time. And to him, that that's a concern. It's not it's not recognizing <coughs> the work that he's doing, right? So there's two sides to that story, and. Um, you, know, you, you want people to get paid fairly for what it is that they do. That's not, uh, you know, we, we're not against that, but how does it impact the whole system as a whole? We want the doctors to become an integral part of our healthcare system, but how do we make that happen for them when, for the longest time, and even more so now, they, they have been encouraged to become somewhat of medical entrepreneurs, and I'm not saying that all doctors have that mentality of, of that this is just a business where they need to make money. That's, that's not it at all. I, I think doctors care uh, deeply about their patients, but um, it is a reality that they're facing right
3: now. Yeah. So, just to clarify, in Alberta, your family doctor, the more patients that they see, the more money they get. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <coughs>
5: Uh, Art Sanford, and um, just a couple of quick comments. Now, I, I should tell you that I was elected as a director of Health in 2001, and I spent seven years there. And I certainly got an eye opener when I found out that our budget increased by 115% in seven years. And we were still told that everybody there was no money. A um, couple of quick comments. Number one, I've never seen anything in the Canada Health Act that forbids private sector workers government is supposed to pay the bill only. We do not have to have public sector workers doing the work, in fairness. So we need to realize that that's part of the system. But the one thing I do want to mention and, and question, I continue to hurt in my seven years. Now, my job there, by the way, was to, to uh, chair finance administration governance. And I worked with that for the entire time, directly with a chartered accountant who was our director of finance. And I was always told, well, your problem is you've got too many managers. You've got 12 and 15 percent being spent on on administration. Now, the administration guidelines we worked under were set up by the Auditor General of the Province of Alberta. And our budget and our financial year end was audited by KPMG and the second audit by the Auditor General. And our administration costs ran all that seven years between 4.1 and 4.2 percent. Not 12 and 15% they were thrown out and figured being thrown out like that now. Let's get back to really looking at what was happening in the system. One of the problems we had was even in 2007 when I worked there, we had one part-time nurse made $115,000. We got all kinds of frontline workers making well over $100,000 in the system, not management, frontline workers. So, I would like to ask you, and and maybe friends of Medicare can tell me, what do you think is a fair amount of money to spend on administration?
2: I think, uh, like I said, I wasn't, uh, I'm not an economist, so I wouldn't be able to kind of give you a a quick and dirty number of what I think is effective. I I just think that, you know, sometimes when we have, like I said before, I, and there's, there's some financial decisions that are made that just don't make those seem to make sense in terms of, of how many people are at the top of the realm of the, of, the, of, the, you know, of the organization. When we have two supervisors on one shift, supervising on one staff, it's just those kinds of things just don't make sense, right? I, I, like I said, it's, it's the same thing for doctors and, and administrators. I think we need to pay them accordingly to what service they are able to uh, provide us with. But there's always some kind of financial uh, uh, restrictions that we need to have. I mean, this is what we saw um, in, in this last little bit is, is the uh, incredible amount of money that was being wasted through those expense accounts and everything else that was... Um, over, over what people were getting paid with their, their wages. I, I don't think anybody is against paying people for the work that they do um, is these extra perks that kind of hurt the system more than anything else. And how do we control those expenses? I, I think it has to come down to, basically, priorities, right? If, if to me, priorities are, are, are providing... Um, good frontline staffing that will provide the basic services, and that's my priority as opposed to paying somebody to fix their their very expensive car. And so I, I think we have to find a balance that, that fairly compensates administrators and that fairly
1: allocates frontline resources.
5: Michael, Mike, you have another. Can I ask another question? Sure. Sure. Okay, primary health care. I was part of the, of the board of directors that set the primary health care system up here in Lethbridge. We received from the Alberta government quite a chunk of money on it. And we made a deal with almost all of the clinics in Lethbridge to go on the primary system. They would receive extra money, very between about $1.5 to $3 million. But it also said that when you went in for your annual checkup, instead of doing maybe 10 or 15 things, there was more than double that they had to do to qualify in fact, we had one clinic back out on us after a year and a half because they said, you're asking for us to do too much compared to what you're paying. Now, in Calgary, the Calgary Health Region says said, our doctors are underpaid, so we just gave them the extra money and made no demand whatsoever. So there's the kind of things that were happening. But the primary health care system is a good system. It can work well, and it does demand more of the doctor.
2: You know, and, and you're totally right. And it's the same idea with the family care clinic. That the whole idea of community health addresses what you were talking about in terms of prevention and and making sure that our populace is, is healthy and, and is maintained healthy. That's the whole idea. Um, well, we're, we're not we're not against these ideas. What we're saying is that there needs to be more accountability. and we're giving people money, then we need to be able to to basically assess what we're getting for that money because. We're using public dollars, and so if if I'm giving one million, you said?
5: Well, it varies between well over just over a million dollars to size treatment, depending on how many doctors we are in, the country.
2: So if we're giving that kind of um, money out of our budget, out of our healthcare budget, then I I think we as Albertans have the right to to decide whether or not um, we are getting uh, what the value for our money that we're spending, and that and that's a reasonable question, I think, in terms of us being able to have that information, which is not there, unfortunately, And, and um, the majority of I, I've been going around with a little camera because I was really interested about the fact that these primary care networks are all geographically, um, you know, divided. And it's great. I mean, they will. It's it. it the whole idea gets off in terms of meeting the needs. Uh, and then that primary care summit was very evident that the patients that were receiving uh, services from there were quite happy with the outcome because it allowed them to have that continuity that the services when they needed it, it's it's all that it's supposed to be and and so that was a really good feedback for the doctors and the doctors know that there was more responsibility um, when it comes down to using that money. But that's all we want to know. If it's a system that's not being put out there as a possibility or an option, I had no idea where my uh, primary care network was. I found out after this meeting. But uh, the majority of Albertans don't know that they belong to this kind of network.
5: How many people here have a doctor who says, My doctor doesn't tell me what I need to know?
3: (laughs) I don't know. know. I
0: don't know that the uh, system has changed that much since I got out of it a few years ago, but uh, I used to deal with payments to physicians. Uh, I haven't heard that it has changed other than some of these experiments. And the way they were paid was by the hour, quarter hour, half hour, depending on the uh, uh, issue. Usually, to begin with, the assessment was expected to be kind of an hour for the first visit. After that, it was... uh, Usually, uh, fifteen minutes you were given, and you had to do your recording or whatever else in that time. Phone calls with it was all counted in. Either that, or else you do it on or gratis outside of that time. That was the, that was the way they were paid. Now I have a, a couple of other friends that are physicians as well, and who told me that uh, some, some of their concern or issue was that some specialists were really hogging uh, the trough a lot because they were getting paid the same now for a, a procedure that would take maybe 10 minutes as opposed to a half an hour or an hour a number of years ago so these are things that need to be looked at however I think yeah uh, you have a question there sorry anything rather than I talk you go
1: a couple of things that aren't mentioned. to. The um, nurse that was making over 100000 between 2001 and 2005, that was the time when nurses were being um, fired, nurses were being let go, there was so much stress within the profession, and nurses were being asked, those that were left, were asked to work overtime and extra shifts. So if you had a nurse making 115000 I would suggest to you that that was someone who was being forced to take extra shifts because they had dumped some of the other nurses. Um, there was a second point. What was your second question, Art? Where is it? What was your second question? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. In the primary care networks, uh, I happened to go to the clinic that refused to uh, take the money. Um, One of the problems with privatization, especially in the states, is that when people go to these clinics, we pay your $5,000 down or something at the beginning, and then then you can go ahead and queue, and Sandra, maybe you could comment on this, is that then you get all these tests done that are not necessary but run up the cost of the clinic. So the diagnostic
2: testing? No, and that's... um... That's that's one of the arguments that's, that's used for when we're talking about prevention. Right? Is how much uh, is is being spent on unnecessary diagnostic testing or necessary diagnostic testing on the other side as well. Um, diagnostic diagnostic and imaging has one of the areas that um, has uh, undergone the most privatization, and, uh, and so when you're when you're looking at how much uh, these clinics are making or. Or, how much they're charging to do these diagnostic testing in the name of prevention, then it becomes a concern. And we, you know, um, that's something that, again, we're looking at in terms of trying to follow the money and trying to see um, how many unnecessary tests are being done, or, or is it just something that we need to trust the system in, in making sure that they're doing it, right? But trusting without asking questions sometimes is, is, doesn't lead us into a better place.
0: <coughs> I will allow just one more question and then uh, Sandra is going to be here for a little while uh, she does have one more meeting before she leaves town so she will mingle around for anyone that anyone, has other questions stated, if you don't want to ask in public My name is Clint Peterson, and I wonder if you can comment on last week we
4: had an See uh, advocates for going back to local boards. How do you feel about that?
2: You know, I don't. I don't think restructuring is, is the uh, necessary answer to our roles. I, I uh, we, the uh, the system itself that was set up with had a, um, a specific task at hand. Um, is there a way to improving it? I think there definitely needs to be. Uh, um, voices heard in the regions in terms of of, uh, of making sure that we have the concerns being brought to the table by the people that actually reside and that it's not just a centralized governance model. But we uh, we definitely don't need to go back and spend all that money yet again to restructure um, uh, our system. Um, we need to uh, be able, I, I think, to, um, to have more transparency in terms of how our money is being allocated, and I can't say that enough, and and uh, we need the, the government, actually, um, to stop running this, this whole healthcare system like a business. You know, I, um, or, or, or giving subsidies to the business uh, model of, of medical entrepreneurship. Uh, we need a, a policy that's set and that, that reflects our values. And, and so, going back to the same thing that we had before, um, where the costs were uh, spiraling according to Mr. Duckett at that time, um, basically wouldn't make sense at this point, I don't
0: think. Uh, with that, I think uh, our time is up. I would like to thank you all for coming out today, and I would especially like to thank Sandra and Hat for coming and for your presentation.
2: the time to sit down and listen to my uh, my uh, 10 page uh, presentation out of the 20 <laughs> thank you so much I really enjoyed it
1: you guys thank were you. tough keep <laughs> alert and keep asking for questions